name's Clyde Godwin, and since you're a church of history, I'm going to give you a little history about myself before I uh, read the scriptures to you this morning. Uh, born in 1951, July 11th in Newburgh, North Carolina, so the colonial capital of North Carolina. So I'm Tar Heel born, Tar Heel bred, uh, but moved around the country quite a bit. When I was 19 years old, I met a guy who loved the Jesus Revolution, if you haven't seen that movie. Let me highly recommend it because we need another movement of the Spirit like that. And I think many of you are here because you want to see God do another work in our country. And people always tell you it's never been this bad. But those of us who've lived a while will say, oh, yeah, it has been. I was walking across the campus a few weeks ago with my, our youngest daughter. and She's now 37. And I was telling her about it. And we had to shut the campus down. Uh, the campus actually was shut down in the spring of 1970, and uh, here's the deal: you could, you know, it, you could take final exams if you weren't happy with your grades that you had at that time. Fortunately, I had good grades, so I got out really early uh, that spring. Uh, but I've seen dark times, like many of you, and I've seen God work. and And the early 70s, 80s were amazing times to be a part of the Church of Jesus Christ in our country. God did some amazing things, and we all long for that again. Uh, with this area is that when I was a seminary student, I was mentored by a guy who in his late 50s was awakened to a new work of the Spirit in his heart, and he was on fire. And uh, he would take groups of students to different parts of the country, and he would preach in different churches uh, around renewal, the theme of renewal, and churches that were just hungry for more. And so uh, we actually came to a church not too far from here in Mooresville, and we were in a church, a sanctuary much like this, and uh, my mentor was preaching on the need for forgiveness in the church, uh, that people learn how to forgive one another, and uh, it was one of those times, and I go to church really expecting much to happen, but something happens. It might happen this morning, so get ready. Buckle up, okay? It might happen this morning, but that morning when uh, my mentor finished preaching, nobody moved. You know, we sang the last hymn, but everybody was just sitting there. They were so convicted by God of a renewed work of the power of forgiveness in their own story and uh, that it got really quiet, and people were just lingering. Um, and I'll never forget that one of the men who was an elder there stood up and called out another man in the congregation and said, come here, I, I want to talk to you. And uh, they walked right to the front, and this went down. And what happened at that point was other people started standing up and talking to other people, asking for forgiveness. And it was one of those unique times in my life where I was like, whoa. Uh, it was a unique work of God. We're going to talk this morning about forgiveness and its power in our stories and our lives. Uh, 2009, I'm going to fast forward. I had a powerful encounter with Jesus out in Colorado. Through that, I would meet a guy who was a tremendous influence on my life. And uh, turns out that he was here in Mooresville staying at a hotel on a sales call. He was at the bottom of, of his story. Uh, life couldn't have been more difficult or hard and uh, ended up in the ER here, uh, near here. And, uh, 
and he really wanted to die. And he was mad at God that he didn't get to die. <laughs> you know, he wanted to die. And God whispered to him, I'm not finished with you yet. I'm not finished with you yet. There's more for you to do. And what came out of that was a powerful demonstration of what we're going to see in the text this morning of how God can take somebody who was at the end of his rope and then begin to teach him how to trust God again. And this guy has had a huge impact, and I'm standing up here today because he had a huge impact in my life. All right, so, and then just most recently, uh, about a year and a half ago, I was asked by the church North Cross pastor, and I went into this meeting with two of the elders, and I did not want to be another, I had done a couple interim jobs, um, been in ministry about 42 years now, and I, I did not want to do it. So I went into the meeting, my wife said, you tell them you're not going to do it. All right, so I go into the meeting, I sit down with them, say, look guys, I can't do full time, I'm not going to move to Cornelius, I live in Winston-Salem, uh, and uh, I'll give you three days a week. And they sat there and looked at me and go, they went, okay, we'll do that. <laughs> and I went, whoa, 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 I'm trying to talk you out of calling me. And they said, no, 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 we want you to do the job. And I go, okay, okay, okay. Now through that I meet Matt and Siobhan, and which has been, he's flowed into my life out of being just down the road. So I know God is working everywhere, but I've actually experienced it in this part of where you are and where you're called to be. So this morning, we're going to look at a passage of Scripture, a great way to start the year. But if you just put in 2 Chronicles 7, 11 through 18, which I'm going to read to you here in a minute, this is usually preached for revival, revival passage. It's a great passage, but I want you to see it more than that. It's an invitation to renewal. Um, that God really wants to renew you, and he's going to show you how he wants to renew you. It's right here in the text. And then he wants to show you that he wants to reform in you, reshape in you, things that you already know. Morning, uh, what we heard in the offertory, how it will become uh, life to you. It will become the very thing you're made for, you're longed for. And then, uh, and then hello, Maybe God really is ready to do a work of revival in you that people will be astonished with how good Jesus is. They will step back and go, man, I knew Jesus was good, but when I see your joy, you know, when I see your expectancy, when I see the way you love people, when I see the way you pray, when I see the way you study the scriptures, I want to know God like that. Do you think that's possible? You think there's some room for revival? Um, we're going to talk about this morning about being desperate, uh, learning to be desperate. And I want to read to you now from Second Chronicles 7, just to give you a little context here. Um, they've just dedicated the temple. Powerful service. The Spirit of God has fallen. So powerful, people can't even get in. Can you imagine showing up here on Sunday morning, wanting to go in church, and then the deacons, ushers out, you can't go in yet. <laughs> you know, the room is just filled with the glory of God, and you're going to have to wait. It's got it's to burn down a little bit where you go in there, and you just say, okay, we'll wait. But anyway, the people are overjoyed. They spend a week celebrating. I mean, it's just one of the most astonishing um, uh, countings in scripture of God bringing his people together and they're, they're going home and they're thrilled, they're happy, but now it's God interacting with uh, Solomon. So let's listen to God's word beginning here at verse 11. 
Thus Solomon finished the house of the Lord and the king's house, and that Solomon had planned all that Solomon had planned to do in his own house, he successfully accomplished. Then the Lord appeared to Solomon in the night and said to him, I have heard your prayer and have chosen this place for myself as a house of sacrifice. When I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain, or command the locusts to devour the land, or send pestilence among my people, if my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and hear from heaven, and I will forgive their sin and heal their land. Now my eyes will be open and my ears attentive to the prayer that is made in this place. For now I have chosen and consecrated this house that my name may be there forever. My eyes and my heart will be there for all time. And as for you, if you will walk before me as David your father walked, doing according to all that I have commanded you and keeping my statutes and my rules, then I will establish your royal throne as I covenanted with David your father, saying, You shall not lack a man to rule Israel. Now this is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. And just invite God to... uh, speak to you today. I just want you to pray for yourself. Just be quiet, pray, invite Jesus to come in and remind you that you are his. Now take a moment and just pray for someone near you, next to you, uh, and just pray that they could hear the voice of the Good Shepherd today. Pray for me as I uh, speak this morning that I can hear Jesus talking me through what we need myself. Christ Jesus, Lamb of God, have mercy on us today for we look uh, to you as our only hope. Where else can we go, Jesus? For you have the words of eternal life. Amen. So I I know you're a well-primed congregation for hard questions, so I'm going to ask you a hard question right now. How desperate are you this morning? How desperate are you? I mean, if you and I could have coffee afterwards, and I just said, tell me, are you desperate? Would you feel comfortable enough to say, let me tell you, (laughs) I'm ready to go there. Let's get you better, (laughs) which is fair, you know. But I want to challenge you this morning to get involved in what Jesus invites you to live a life of desperation, a healthy desperation, not a beat yourself up desperation, not a if only or if, you know, if when kind of thing, but I'm desperate. You see, when you're walking with Jesus, you want more. You're thirsty. You're hungry. The desire in you is just growing for more of him. And what God is saying to Solomon here, and isn't it cool that he appears to him in a dream, you know, at night? Uh, Like a lot of you, when I go to sleep at night, I have a series of naps, you know. (laughs) Constantly, I'll sleep a little bit, wake up, sleep a little bit, and take another nap, okay? 
But isn't it beautiful here that Solomon has just had this exquisite, powerful experience, and God wakes him up and speaks to him. So if you walk out of here and you wake up tonight and God speaks to you, send me a text or email, say, it worked. <laughs> no, just say, hey, wow, I, I, did, I showed up at church. I wasn't expecting very much, but man, if God didn't wake me up and give me a word, and I want to share that with you. Now, you see, when we're desperate, we're really positioning ourselves to be poor in spirit, to be humble so that God can pour his grace. And if your life has become dull or it just kind of has lost its joy of life, then let me encourage you to listen to Jesus saying, come, you know, come and follow me. And if you'll say, yes, I'm coming, something will happen to you. We'll feel like I'm desperate. You know, I know you don't have, many of you don't have that right now. I wouldn't if I was you sitting out there. But something will wake up in you and go, I'm, I want more. I want more of this. Uh, one of the things that I love to do, I love to do a lot of things, uh, but just teach people how to pray centering prayers. Now, centering prayers is an idea in spiritual discipleship for me. Um, so some of you know the writer Brennan Manning. Um, and uh, his simple centering prayer was, Abba, Father, I belong to you. So when you feel desperate, anxious, fearful, angry, Abba, Father, I belong to you. So you center the historic prayer in the church is the one I prayed just a few minutes ago. Christ Jesus, Son of God, have mercy on me. You're centering yourself. So I w there's lots of other ones, but I was teaching a group of people like yourself uh, about learning how that as you live your day and you're practicing God's presence, center, we constantly have to recenter, reset, get yourself back in the center of who Christ is for you in the kingdom. And I was teaching for a while, and this good old boy that I know who's just an amazing guy, you love him. He, you know, he came up to me, Clyde, he says, I've been thinking about this, and I think I know what my centering prayer is. I go, okay, Randy, what, what is it? And he goes, I want to start praying, Jesus, save me from my stupid self. <laughs> you, know, you know, can I get a witness? Can anybody pray that prayer? Uh, you know, whoa. And I thought, Randy, that is so good. That is so good. And I pray that prayer regularly. <laughs> my wife will say, you need to pray Randy's prayer. You know, uh, but save me from my stupid self. How can I be so dumb about stuff that I know is not true or believe something that's wrong and act as if I know what I'm talking about? But you see, that prayer doesn't stop there. It, it goes like this. Save me. Here's the next part, which I want to put down a challenge in front of you this morning, is to pray this way. Jesus, save me from my lovable self. I don't know any of you other than Matt and Siobhan, and I've just met some of you, but I have no doubt if I spent time with you, I would find out how lovable you are. And I would enjoy being with you. And you'd enjoy being with me because isn't it fun to be around people who enjoy being with you? <laughs> Most of us have a lot of people going, I hope she doesn't call me or I hope he doesn't text me or I hope he doesn't want to have. But the truth is that Jesus saw you and he loved you. And he saw how lovable you would become if you would believe. More importantly, that you would begin to believe that God the Father loves you as much as he says he does. Now, having grown up here in North Carolina where basketball is king, I've watched a lot of basketball. My father 
uh, just started me early on. I can remember 1957, some of you will remember this. Um, UNC is playing Kansas, triple overtime win against Wilt Chamberlain. I could talk about this for a long time, but we're here to hear God's word. <laughs> Not basketball stories, but anyway, I'm going to share from that. And one of my favorite ACC coaches is Bobby Crimmins, who coached at Georgia Tech. Um, and uh, so uh, Crimmins was an intense coach. I remember him coaching. It's another story. Anyway, stay with it, Clyde. Help me pray for leadership folks. We'll be here all day. Don't worry. You'll be lingering, not because the spirits fell, but I just love to tell stories. Anyway, but Bobby Crimmins had a signature move when he saw his team not playing with heart, uh, when they were just going through the motions. And he walked down the sideline and he grabbed his button down shirt and he pulled his blazer back and he'd start yanking his shirt, shirt out. And what he was, show me your heart. Play with heart, play with passion, play with desperation. And you see, Jesus came to show you the heart of the Father. He came to show you how great is the love of the Father has so much joy so that you have all that God intended you to have, the side of heaven. Now, here's what happens. God appears to Solomon. He says, Solomon, you guys have had a great season, all that, but I, because I love you, I want to prepare you. There will be times that I love you so much that I'm going to send discipline into your story. I'm going to send hard times. I'm going to make it incredibly difficult for you. Not because I don't love you, but because I love you this much. Now, I have uh, six grandchildren, and one of my young granddaughters, <coughs> I, I will say to her, sweetheart, I love you this much, you know? And she'll look at me and go, Papa, I love you this much, <laughs> you know? Like, you know, as only a three-and-a-half-year-old can. Uh, but I feel like that's what God says, God, I love you this much. I go, yes, Father, I know that, but I love you this much. There's not humor there. It's just I've, I've lost it. You know, I've lost my way. I, I, I know that there's not a love in here uh, for what the Father's done for me. But God says, when that happens, then we get to verse 14, which most of you know enough you could almost quote it. But God says, if my people, if my daughter, if my son... If this beloved husband and wife, who are mine. Now notice what it says in verse 14, because you need to put yourself right there. It says, if my people, Abba Father, I'm, I'm, I'm his. You belong to him. If my people, who are called by my name. So you got the family adoption. You got the family name. Now, have I'm sure some of you have been around people who've been adopted and they get the family name. Uh, and I've been involved in working and pastoring people who've adopted children into their life. And I've seen the privilege and the joy of what those children get to have because they've been adopted and they now have that family name. Right down the street is another uh, Presbyterian pastor and he and his wife have a heart for handicapped children. Um, they adopt a little girl from China through her computer, she's got a cleft palate, she's got so many things wrong with her. But man, to see the love the parents have for her, but to see how she just lights up any room she comes into because she knows she's loved this much. <laughs> you know, 
It's like, whoa, so you've been adopted. Uh, that's the good news of the gospel. The highest blessing that Jesus offers us is that we're adopted into his family. If my people who are called by my name, now you're going to see this sequence here. Because probably the hardest thing for any of us to do is right here. Because if you can do this one, you're going to discover your superpower. So Matt, remember this. This is your superpower. Um, is being humble. So what's your superpower? <laughs> and let me tell you, each one of you here, you're made to be humble. You're made to be dependent. That's the way God wired you. And um, if you go low, Jesus is going to get high. That's an Africa saying in Africa, haven't been there. Jesus gets low. I mean, if you get low, Jesus will get high. But here's the amazing thing. Jesus got low. <laughs> the God of glory, the King of glory, the God who made you said, how can I teach them how to be humble? I'm going to humble myself for them and show them I love them this much. You know? You ever been around somebody who's loved you by humbling themselves for you? at our family, the stars. Grew up really dirt poor. Just unbelievable sadness, brokenness in her story. Uh, she was just such a gift of God's love to me. Even before I knew God, she showed me what God's love looked like by the way she smiled at me, the way, the way she affirmed me, the way she pursued me, and the way she prayed for me. I mean, I'm standing up here today because of the prayers of Mabel Roundtree. God bless her. She was just such a beautiful picture of a desperate woman who knew the delight of her heavenly father. And she was so lovable. You could, if any of you knew Mabel Roundtree, you'd come in my ear about it. Say, hey, I saw Mabel the other day. We talked. And, I love your grandmother. <laughs> you know, I love her so much. You know, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, and notice what comes next is, and pray. Now, <clears throat> I'll let you all know, I'm big fans of your new pastor. I mean, I know he's been here, but Logan Keck, I've known Logan not a long time through a lot of different things. I love Logan. I love Melissa. They are great people. God has called you a wonderful couple to serve this congregation. But the biggest gift you can give to them is pray for them. <laughs> you know? You want to see Logan flourish? for him and if you get around him and he's being ornery or stubborn or just being you know how can I pray for you can we come over to your house and sit with you and I just love to lay hands on you and pray for you Matt's uh, uh, has been a pastor I've been a pastor I'm no longer a pastor of a church but I want to tell you again one of the greatest gifts people have given to me is when they have showed up and prayed for me but if my people are, will humble themselves and pray, now think of the acronym for prayer here. P stands for pause. Now, one of the reasons we're not very humble is we're in such a hurry, right? We're, we're too busy, we're off and running. But when you learn to pray, you learn to wait on God. Now, you might be chatting to God about, hey, God, give me this sale, or God, heal. But here's when you know you learn how to pray. It's when you learn how to wait. And it's the hardest thing for me to do. I'm impatient. I'm a ready, fire, aim guy. You know, if there was a problem in this church and Logan called me up, I'd be driving over here for once in the will say, where are they and what do we need to do? You know, and guess what? 
I got solutions. You know, I got ideas of how to help them. Like if I was to sit and talk to you, the temptation for me is if you said, hey, here's what I'm dealing with. What, you know, what do I need to do? In my mind, I've got a lot of ministry experience. I know a lot of scripture. I know a lot of great stories, theology, blah, blah, blah. And I can just start firing away and taking time to wait on God and say, what do these folks really need? What does he need right now? What does she need? Father, help me hear from what, I know you're working, but help me wait. So pause is when you learn how to pray. R is rejoice. That God, what, shows love to those who wait. Now, during Christmas, I was reading through uh, uh, Advent readings, and I came to Isaiah 64, and it's the verses many of you know, God, you have no idea what God has prepared for those whom he loves. You have no idea, no eye has seen, no ear has heard what I'm going to do. Now, Paul picks that up and quotes it in 1 Corinthians 2, but in Isaiah, will do for people who wait for me. So you want a word today? Wait on God. And right away, if you're like me, you're going, you got another answer? <laughs> I, I mean, I was ready yesterday. I, 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 I want to know the end of the book. I want to read the last chapter. What, God, what are you doing? And God says, wait on me. Now, we could do a whole do, series on learning to wait on God, the value of it. But I want to tell you, <clears throat> uh, the scarlet letter on my chest is uh, I'm often wrong and I'm never in doubt. So that's, uh, you know, some of you know that's a basketball commentator's line. But I'm often wrong. Eric know me, and you don't know much of my story. But if you knew me 15, 20 years ago, you go, man, I got Walks around like he knows everything, you know? Uh, and uh, I have answers. I have ideas. I, I love to dream. I love to build, all that stuff. But God, in his mercy, as he's been uh, breaking me of my love of myself, uh, and my kingdom come, I will be done. He's taught me how to wait. So the scarlet letter on my chest has changed to a golden letter. I'm adopted by the Father. I belong to him. And I'm waiting on God. Which again, in that waiting, you learn how much he loves you. That he loves you this much. <laughs> Not this much, but this much. Because as you learn to wait, God says when you learn how to pray, so pause, rejoice, ask, yield uh, is the acronym. But here's the key, is that when you are in revival mode, you're looking for Jesus' face. You know, you're not just settling for hearing his voice or seeing that he's seeing you. You want to see his face. Now, again, there's lots of scripture about this that talks about it. Psalm 27, God says to David, you seek my face. You know, and uh, David said, I will seek your face. Now, here's a part of the healing work of church and me and the gospel. A lot of people have just distorted caricatures so, again, if we were just to do the exercises, we had the time, and I'm missing seeing a clock right there, so I can know how much time I got. I need a clock right there, so <laughs> to help me out. Uh, but, uh, you know, is, is really beginning to understand how God is working in a way 
again, to help you want to see his face, to really enter into that, to seek his face, so that you know that he is looking at you. Here we go. Because again, if we were, if we were just, I was just hanging out, all right, we're going to do a little worksheet. No, but don't put your name on it. But when you try and see God, what do you see? Now I'm going to pick men I've worked with at house. Hopefully there are no stewards here. I'm not picking on you. So, uh, <clears throat> Stuart, when you look at God, what do you see? And Stuart would write, I don't see anything. It's blank. It's an empty canvas. Or George, when you look at God's face, what do you see? Or when you look at Jesus' face, what do you see? I see a frown. Jesus is so unhappy with me. Here I am again, praying that same prayer, confessing. Um, and, uh, hey, Steve, what do you see? And uh, he says, when Jesus looks at me, he's so disappointed. He's so disappointed. I've screwed it up so bad. I'm beyond hope, Lord. I could just keep going because I've done a lot of work with men and a lot of what I've told you is exactly what they see. And part of healing and working and praying and having God heal people is here's where you want to go. Jesus looks at you and me goes, I love you this much and here's this big smile. The, literally what the Hebrew meant, look for his smile. Do you see Jesus smiling at you right now? All right, so I'm going to jump ahead. I'm going to jump to the conclusion right now because you might not feel desperate, but Jesus is desperate to heal you and help you today and change you. And he's smiling at you with tears because he knows how hard. So uh, years ago, I had to have surgery. I was not happy because they had to put a tube down through my nose, down into my stomach. And I was not happy. I was, you know, not being a good pastor. I was a jerk, okay? Uh, and, and this nurse could tell that I, sh that I was just being mean and ugly, okay? Um, and she had to put that tube down my nose, down into my stomach, which I did not want anybody messing with me. And as she was putting it down, her eyes just filled up with tears. And she, we're eye to eye. And she's taking that thing down. And I saw the face of Jesus. I saw Jesus in her face. Now to see the face of Jesus, you're going to experience a lot of different things, just like the sun. I mean, it's, sometimes you're going to see Jesus filled with compassion. Sometimes you're going to see Jesus' face and his head is bowed and his eyes are closed because he's interceding for you. Sometimes you're going to look at him and you're going to go, man, Jesus is just aching for me right now. He is really aching. And here's how you know you're going to hear what God wants to say. When you look at Jesus and you see how desperate he is for you. Wow. Does it get much better than that? You ever looked at somebody who is so desperate for you? Out here as a church is that sense of, oh my goodness, it could not get any better. It could not get any more richer than to see his face. And, and God says, if you seek my face, then here's what's going to happen. You're going to find the courage to turn away from whatever's eating your lunch, whatever is stealing you, whatever is keeping you from being desperate the way God has made you to be. 
And some of you are holding on to things with a clenched fist. I have to have this. Or whatever. You're, you're just, you, it's like this. And when God's healing you, you're, you let it go. As much as you desire it to happen, you're going to let it go because you got something so much better. When you open your fist, Jesus, is in the palm of my hand. Now let's go. Let's go, let's go after it. And so when you begin to experience these things, when I begin to experience these things, church becomes an exciting place to be, amen? You know how lovable Christ Center, I mean, Center Presbyterian Church is? Again, I can just tell from all of you that there's something God's doing here that makes you guys extremely lovable. But you have to connect to what we're looking at here, the promises that God's made because you're his people, he's called you by name, and when you guys begin to share that love with each other, this place will fill up. Because people are desperate to know how much God loves them. And again, I can say, because I am so stupid, and they are so full of self-loathing or contempt, or they're just stone cold dead emotionally, and they come alive. It's kind of like Lazarus coming out of the tomb, and you go, wow. Wow. So I'm going to end with this story again because I'm just getting wound up. Most of you are getting a little hungry, so you're already worried. Man, this is not going to go, go well. Um, so uh, the country preacher that's from this area I used to follow, he'd come and preach at our church. And, and here's the way he, whenever he'd end his sermon, he's a big old man, and he'd take off his glasses, and he'd go, now follow me close. You know, and so you knew he was coming to the end. How he was, this is where he was going with his message. So a few years ago, I was probably at the hardest, most difficult time of my life. It was so hard, so difficult. And uh, I'm being gutted. Does somebody feel gutted? Like life is just so, di- I feel gutted. And I remember Jesus whispering to me, you're not being gutted, you're being plowed up. I heard just as clear as I just said it to you, you're being plowed up. And that felt comforting, okay? And then I was sitting in a meeting where men were sharing, and this guy was telling us miserable circumstances, and basically he told the story of Lazarus being raised from King about uh, how Jesus gets ready to um, roll the stone away. And I want to say to some of you, there's a stone between you and God right now. There's a stone over your heart. And Jesus is saying, take it away. You can't move that stone. It's there. And he says, take it away. Now, what are you doing? (laughs) Martha starts chewing on Jesus. It's great. I mean, Martha is, I mean, she's one of the great, Martha and Mary, great people. They're great heroes of the Bible. But Martha goes, Jesus, what are you doing? And and Jesus lovingly talks to her and says, Martha, don't you remember I told you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God. Um, I want to see the glory of God. So here's prayer application, application for the message. Say, Jesus, I'm coming to see the Father's glory in your face. Show me the Father's glory in your face. I'm going to seek your face. And he'll show up. He will show up. So... Anyway, I went out of that meeting going, I needed that. Father, show me your glory. Show me the glory of Jesus. 
show it to me, help me, because again, I was broken all the way to the ground um, and bitter and resentful. Uh, and so I was in a setting, uh, stopped at the rest stop between Bur one of the rest stops between Burlington and going home to Winston-Salem, so I'm driving on. I, I get in the car, I am so angry at God. He had not delivered, he had not come through years of praying and all this stuff, and I am, I am just miserable. Now remember, I had just been praying, show me your glory, I would heard that message. So I'm, I'm driving along on I-40 and I'm driving, you know, it's like five lanes at one point going west. And this woman comes up behind me and she passes me on the right side. Now guys, how do you feel when you're going the speed limit and somebody passes you on the slow lane side? <laughs> you know, it sort of added to my frustration and anger and I wanted to get behind her and give her a little love tap, you know, and just, <laughs> just bump her a little bit just to say, what are you doing? Nobody drives like that. You know, I'm racing to catch up with her and I get behind her and literally I'm pulling up to get as close to the bottom. I'm not going to hit her, but I wanted to. But I'm getting up really close to her bumper. Now, in the state of North Carolina, we have a thing called vanity plates, right? Uh, if you get a vanity plate, I had the first pro-life uh, vanity plate that came out years ago. Uh, you can have, I had a vanity plate, It'll whatever it says, you're the only one who has it. So you'll see people mix things up so they can get, you know, the way they want it. But, um, so I'm coming right up on her bumper and I look down and there on her license plate was John. 1140. Do you think I saw an angel? Do you think, you know, Jesus was trying to encourage me? I went, oh my gosh, Jesus, you love me this much. Because here I am, I've been praying, I've been asking, and here I'm acting like somebody who doesn't know God at all. And right there, boom, I saw his glory. I saw him laughing. <laughs> like, God, I love you this much. And I want to heal you. I want to help you. I want to restore you. And so uh, once I kind of came out of this joyful worship, I started to speed up and try, because I, I tried to catch her. I don't know where she ended up, but I do really think I got visited by an angel. You know, I got touched by an angel. I mean, have mercy. I, I mean, God gave me exactly what I need. And that, he's coming up right on your bumper. Uh, because not because he wants to bump you, but because he wants you to realize he's going to get out from behind you and get in front of you so that you can see his face. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you this morning for the love that will not let us go. Uh, we think of that hymn, Jesus, I am resting in the joy of who thou art, and I am finding out the greatness of your loving heart. So, Father, pray for your smile to rest on Center of Presbyterian Church, on Melissa, Logan, for the elders, deacons, uh, for all the people here today. And Lord, you know there's some people here today who are so desperate someplace, but they know that you're here to help them. So Jesus, uh, show up and help them today in ways that they'll know that you are for them and who can be against them, not even themselves. And we pray this, Jesus, in your name, amen. Let's stand and worship.